Jimmy, you're back. I am. I'm no longer in Wisconsin. I was in Wisconsin this time last week working with George Von Driska. We shot a bunch of content for the Woodworkers Guild of America website that he he's a big member. He's a, I think he's I never went to the website, George. I'm sorry, but <laughs> but it's a paywall. It's a pay oh, site, and I'm not and I'm not a member. But uh, I feel like I you am should a get a membership for free, maybe for being yeah, a part of it. Well, I know George. I could just call him and say, George, how'd you how'd you make that butt joint? Is it a complicated <laughs> joint? Is that butt joint come? No, he keeps it. It's it, it. It seems like most of the woodwork is sort of along the lines of of uh, Steve Ramsey, where it's not overly complicated. Because I'm always like, well, let's do this. He goes, no, 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 let's keep it like this. I'm like, okay. I'm like, we could do that kind of joint. We could do finger oh, joint. He's like, yeah. no, no, no. So kind it's it's specific it's like a, yeah, it's like entry set. level to 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 intermediate. And we I had a really good time, and he had, he hires a crew. And the crew came, and sh- the good guys, same guys that I worked with last year, really good crew. And we do a live stream, and everything went really well. We had a good time. And so I'm back here. I came home, and uh, I jumped right into all my, my tasks. And now that it's spring cleaning, I'm cleaning up the yard a little bit, putting away all the junk I leave out over the winter. It's The spring has sprung. And uh, I came home. My big news, my big, big news is that now I own the graveyard house I talked about on the after show. Oh, cool. Nice. Me and Howard, my business partner, we bought the graveyard house, which is three miles up the road. And hopefully today they turn the electric on because it's been cold. They turn the electric off on Friday. The previous owner turned the electric off and I try to turn it on Monday. And here's today's Wednesday and it's still not on. Maybe they turned it on already, but it's a, it's a house on 11 acres. It's a three bedroom house, which currently is completely gutted of all of its plaster walls. The previous owner was preparing to restore it. He did a really good job of prepping the work surfaces and everything, getting rid of all of the plaster and all the... So it's a gutted house, but the exterior is pretty well intact. But if you look through the windows, it's got no walls. There's there's bearing bearing walls are still in place, but everything's stripped down to the studs. So it's a perfect clean slate. So on 11 acres, there's a giant graveyard directly in front of the house across the street. So it's funny, I can take pictures. There's a vantage point where I could take a picture. I was walking in the field. I could take a picture where it just looks like a house and the whole front yard is a graveyard. There's actually a road between the house and the front yard. There's a road between the house and the graveyard. So there's two and a half acres on one side of the road and about nine acres on the other side of the road. And it comes with a big barn. So we're looking forward to making content, but also really more more importantly, it's just it's a real estate investment for Howard and I. You know, the other day I was talking to my youngest and somehow we were talking about a graveyard and I don't remember the context, but he was like talking about how he was joking about how creepy it was. And I was like, oh, you remember Jimmy, right? And he's like, yeah. <laughs> Speaking like, of creepy he just people. bought a house with a graveyard in the front yard of the house. And he's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> they all got a kick out of that. And they were like, why in the world would anybody buy a graveyard? And I'm like, well, I think it came with the house, but the legend, <laughs> but it's also Jimmy. So he may yeah. not have gotten it anyway. I mean, he yeah. used to have a hearse, so that's true. Yeah, now the timing is, is horrible. I could could it would have been nice photographs. Yeah, mm, that's true. Yeah, uh, oh, that's so, cool, yeah. man. That's exciting. Yeah, so actually, I just pulled up a website called uh, Find a Grave. If anybody's interested in googling uh, the grave, maybe I shouldn't say. I don't care. It doesn't matter. I don't live there. Allen Teeter Road in Greene County. There's a website <laughs> dedicated to the Allen Teeter Road Cemetery, and that oh. is now on my property. Wow. So if anybody wants to do some interesting research and send it back to me, Allen Teeter Road Cemetery, also known as the Hayward Ravensburg Family Cemetery. Ravensburg. You know. Man, what a name. Yeah. yeah. So this is a little website dedicated to it. So it's, um, I was there yesterday and I noticed the field. Oh, so there, there was a working barn up until like 1973. Hmm. So the barn is full of hay. And I asked the neighbor who I know very well. The neighbor actually owns the the milk. Did you go? The hey, <laughs> I went. Hey, hey, I got to ask you a question about hey. And I said, when was the last time this farm was working? And he went through, in his mind. He went through the families, and he's like, yeah, 73, 73 was the last time this was a working farm. And I said, there's tons of hay in there. He goes, I goes, is it any good? He goes, most likely not. He goes, most people want fresh hay. So I want to get it out of there. I want to get the hay out of there. But I'm also looking forward to. It's funny. Rob was at the barn the other day for a minute. He was there for three minutes. He found a mummified cat, 
a package of of uh, tobacco from like the 1920s and a couple of tools like th- this is a bit it's a giant barn the barn's probably hmm. 50 60 feet by like 35 40 feet it's got two levels and it's supposed to be barn made has it has to be made in the early 1800s it's incredible and so we're going to modify the barn a little bit just to open the space up there's a couple of weird little partitions that don't necessarily need to be there and so we're going to open up the floor space in the in the main barn there's a couple of things we're going to do and there's also a talk of maybe a tv show but i'm not really counting on that but it it could be interesting to get free supplies that's the only reason i'm going to angle on the tv show is just to get free building materials but uh we're going to move forward on fixing it up first step is to probably start doing the floors and then the, the house is primed for a front porch from scratch the front porch that was there previous owner ripped it down because it was all dilapidated so i'm showing you guys pictures of the creepy house it's oh, a man. cool photo that's these a pictures, great photo Wow. These pictures yeah. are from last night at uh, at about one, two in the morning. There's some cool lighting going on there. That's moonlight. Yeah. Is it really? Oh. Yeah, that's moonlight on the new iPhone. And there's the graveyard. I just turned 180, and there's the graveyard directly across the street. That's the a neighbor that's across wow. the main road. That might. Anyway, the, I'm going to do an introductory video saying, you know, it'll be. I got a house, and my hands will be like this on my face. <laughs> you're going to make your eyes a, really big. It'll be. I bought a graveyard. Me and Laura were talking. She's like, "It's great. You'll get you'll get views on that for sure." Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I bought a graveyard. Speaking of Laura, yeah. she's hosting Sesame Street. What what's going on there? What I, I in the world? She mentioned to so me. Cool. I don't know exactly what she's doing, but when we were talking the other day, we did the Dave Bauer podcast together. We had a great talk, and she said, uh, "I got to go meet Sesame Street this week. I'm doing an episode. I don't know if she said an episode or a season. I don't know. But when I saw that picture of her with the Muppets, I just cannot stop smiling." It's so awesome. Yeah, I think amazing. she's hosting an episode. She's like the celebrity host or whatever. You know, that's yeah. so cool. It was amazing. It was amazing yeah. to see that picture. But, so yeah, so that's at the house, and that's 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 what I've been up to. So uh, and then this week I'm making a type on video. I'm going to be making a study model. I haven't started it yet, but it's going to be a fast, a fast build. I'm doing a study model of my barn, the big black barn, because I'm starting to formulate the second floor. And I have an architectural plan, and we did some, we did some prepping inside the walls for it. So I'm going to do an architectural model to see what the second floor would look like and get a vibe of what that's going to be. So I'm going to start working on that after we we finish. So what's the current plan for the second, the, like the use case for the second story? Lasers and sewing machines, oh, and okay. just like more like Clean a meeting room. room, clean room, yeah. And it's going to be obviously a fairly large room. So I, I'm going to keep it sparse. Maybe just, maybe like I said, just like a hangout. All the grinding and welding and everything is downstairs. And Because right now, I just got a new sewing machine from Weaver, and it's two days old. And I was playing with it last night, and it's already covered with grinding powder and everything. So, But that's, that's, really, uh, that's really something that's been in the works. And the only reason I haven't pulled the trigger on it sooner is I was anticipating more episodes of the TV show. And they were saying, if you could just wait so that we can keep this open air space. It's kind of a trademark for the episodes. And now there's no episodes, so I'm going to initiate the plan to build the second floor. I'll still have a 13 and a half foot ceiling height. That's nice, yeah. The upstairs is going to be more lofty with kind of close to the pitch of the roof, but plenty of room to stand like the five foot at the very edge, which Mm. is kind of more for desks and stuff. Yeah. But uh, So there'll still be plenty of room in the open middle. So that's why I want to make the model. I want to kind of study and see some real life. I'll make a little 3D print out of me of myself and do that. Cool. Yep. Awesome. David, what have you been up to? So we have a video coming out, hopefully on Saturday. Saturday is April Fools. And I'm, I'm going to mm. say that I am guilty of making April Fools videos in the past, but guilty. I greatly dislike april fool's videos because i feel like i'm a youtube junkie and i feel like it ruins my feed i just want the day to be over and i just want normal videos to be Mm. back so we tried to think of something goofy to do for april fools but the video could live anytime where it's not uh uh, you're, you're not being tricked or it's not super silly 
You find so, any more Mickey Mantle cards? <laughs> yeah, yeah. See, that's that's, that's a classic <laughs> April Fools. I, I'll get about two comments a year uh, on that one saying, "I can't believe you just ruined a Mickey Mantle rookie card," um, which I did. You got me. I was Calm like, down. "Wow, I can't believe you did that." <laughs> uh, that I had no idea what day it was. <laughs> I think uh, there's also a cat coffin where it looks like I put our cat into a coffin and nail it shut. Um, <laughs> yes. So that was fun. Um, fun fact, uh, a couple of years, that video is probably nine years old. A couple of years ago, my buddy that I used to work with said, hey, do you have that cat coffin still? I would love to have it. And I was like, yeah, get this out of my out of my shop. And he turned it into a crayon box for his kids. So, oh, um, and, and it's a coffin shaped a coffin for his cat. Yeah, it's a coffin shaped like a cat. Like there's like it's it's a profile of like cat foot, cat tail, cat head. But anyway, this year decided to see if we could do fine furniture, but made with two by fours. So I'm making this decorative uh, upright cabinet, and and I'm doing everything in in my power to make two by fours look as beautiful as possible. So it's um what I think is a well-designed cabinet. It's got two doors on the front. It's got some, it's got some texture and, and um, a nice, beautiful, clean Pachuto style look and some inlay on the, on the top, some two by four inlay on the top. And uh, it, it's, it's not done. It should be done tomorrow. And it came out really, really good. I'm super happy with, with this. And I, learned that i absolutely hate working with two by fours for whatever reason it's <laughs> the dust doesn't get collected in the dust collection system and it just gets in the air whether sanding cutting and my i'm a little stuffy and uh even with dust protection like it's just i, I can smell pine like i'm not even in my shop and i smell pine right now so that stuff is is just nasty so i thought maybe this could be a series of taking two by fours and making fine furniture out of it nope it's it's mm. too painful to work with it's too dusty so uh hopefully that's coming out on saturday and i'm i'm really happy with the the overall look like we were really picky so we're picky getting the two by fours and then picky with the two by fours that we selected cutting removing knots, gluing up boards to make bigger boards and trying to make it look good. Awesome. That sounds cool. Uh, let's see for me, um, past couple weeks, it's like spring ish. So for the first time in a while, I've been like outside trimming bushes and laying down grass seed to try to grow grass where my dogs completely destroyed our backyard over the winter, stuff like that. Um, we launched our Arduino course, I guess that's been since we last recorded. I don't remember. And had a really great response to that. The fart chair video that we made to promote it did not do well at Ooh. all. Boo. Uh, which is really surprising because I thought it was one of those like just silly enough but not terrible things to, you know, people would think it's funny. The people that watched it, I think, liked it, but it, it just didn't really get watched very much. But the course uh, went out to a lot of people, and that was really awesome. So we're very excited about how that launch is going and um, getting some good feedback from people who are, you know, going through it now, which is really cool. So that's been the big thing. Um, okay. So you guys know Tyler Bell, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Anybody that doesn't know Tyler Bell, uh, he's a really smart guy and makes some really cool. Builds very airplanes. Yeah, very mechanical stuff. He works in uh, kind of aviation design stuff now, too, which is really cool. But I don't want to tell all of his business what he does. But he came to visit. He has family in the area. So he came down here and came to the office. We had lunch together and hung out for the afternoon. It was really cool. And so we spent time together. And I've met him before, I think at WorkbenchCon, maybe. you know. But we've never really spent a lot of time together. But we, we spent the afternoon talking and sitting around the table and stuff. And then he left to go back to hang out with his family for the rest of the week. He sends a message later on that evening that says, like, his uncle or somebody is really into family history. And he said, well, and he lives in, in Seattle, okay? He said, it turns out that I'm related to some Claggets in this area. And so he sends me this list back from him, from his father, like, 
six generations or seven generations or something like that. And he starts going back through this list and then it turns from whatever name it was, last name, to Claggett. And, and there's a lot of Claggetts around here and we're not all related. So he sends me this like Lydia, whose father was Charles, whose father was Henry. And then it says around, you know, like Revolutionary War. And so I have a family tree that goes back to 1490. And so, yeah, <laughs> Jimmy's eyes get really wide. I have this family maybe, tree that maybe somebody in the cemetery belongs to. <laughs> maybe they don't belong to me, but anyway. So like, I go down and I get this family tree, roll it out on the table, and my dad was over, and so we we're like looking through it, and there's a lot of Charles, there's a lot of Henrys in our family, back, you know, and so we're looking around the Revolutionary War era, you know, area of the tree. And so we're like looking for there's name like, oh, there's a Henry right there and there's a Henry over here and there's one over here. And um, I know the area that his family went to and everything, but I couldn't I couldn't narrow it down to this thing. But the first clag in his list going backwards was Lydia. And it was not a name I'd ever seen on our thing. So I started looking for Lydia and all of a sudden I see Lydia and I'm like, oh, wait a second. That's it. And I go back. Her father is Charles. Her his father is Henry. And I'm like, whoa. Tyler Bell and I are related. <laughs> and like my How many great, generations great, back? All right, go ahead. Uh, my great 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 grandfather uh is Lydia's brother. Which is like his I don't know. I I don't remember the chain of things. It's like four or five generations back. But isn't that wild? That like That's so cool. I mean Tyler lives in the opposite end of the country. <laughs> And we met each other over the internet because we both make stuff. And it turns out that we're like, you know, you can prove that we're related. It's not probably like you've, I found the path. Hmm. Stuff like that is so cool to me. Yeah. But it, that reminds me of something funny. So yeah, you, most people know Justin, maybe he works at Total Boat now, but he worked for April and he worked at a couple of big, big spots. He used to work for uh, Laguna Tools providing video content. So Justin maybe sends me a message the other day. He goes, can you believe this? I'm... It was it was sarcastic and jokey, but who knows? He said uh, he, he says, "Can you believe this? I'm related to Nick Offerman." And then there's a there's a uh, ancestral interview with Nick, and he he talks about his his not too distant relatives named Maybe. I think it's like on his wow. mother's side, his grandmother or his great grandmother's name is so and so Maybe. And so I sent I sent Justin stuff to Nick. I was like, "Maybe you're related to my filmmaker friend Justin Maybe." He's, he didn't answer me back. <laughs> <laughs> Must be busy making a movie. No, yeah. uh, so I just forwarded to Nick. So there you go. Like, because when I saw Justin a couple months before that, I was like, "What does the name Maybe come from?" And we talked about it, and I think he yeah. said it was French. And uh, now, and then it was just a couple of weeks later when Nick Offerman is on some. It's a public. It's a public interview about him talking about somebody named Maybe in his family tree. Crazy. Yeah. It's super wild. I, I love yeah. that stuff. Um, and then, so after that, you know, talking to, to Tyler about it, it was really cool because his uncle, who made this connection, has some information about their family at that point, but not a lot. And then I've got this big paper family tree, like I said, that goes back to 1490, which is their family tree, too. And so now I can share this stuff that I inherited from my grandfather with them to inform an entirely new branch of the family about where their origins are and stuff. I, I don't know. That stuff is just neat to me. That's crazy. I'm really looking forward to digging into the cemetery stuff. By the way, the cemetery. When you say digging used. into the cemetery, <laughs> oh yeah, and I don't mean physically. Oh, did I? Did I? You want to hear a funny story? Yeah. This is your reminding. Oh, so yeah. a couple week a couple weeks ago. Oh, last night I missed it. There was a town board meeting. I missed it last night. But the town board meetings every Tuesday here in East Durham. And a couple weeks ago, I was at the town board meeting, and I said, "I'm thinking about buying the house on Allen Teeter Road." Um, I go, I just wanted to find out the cemetery. I know I don't technically own it, but my property surrounds it and it, it'll be under my my tutelage to make sure it's okay. I said, I just want to make sure that I'm, I'm good to, to fix it up. You know, I might make some content. I have some grave guys that come and restore stones. And some old woman. I some, have some grave guys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I have some, like I said, like, I have a guy that he's, I wish I could remember his name off the top of my head, but I messaged this guy. He's popular on TikTok and he restores graves and he tells the story of who's there. It's a really beautiful, oh, wow. they're like little, like very poetic. The whole time he's physically working, he does the voiceover of who it is. 
And so I reached out to him and he really was interested. And anyway, so I brought that up. And then a woman in the <laughs> a woman goes, don't take the graves up. I go, I look, I go, cause I said I was going to, I was going to like write the stone. Every stone is pointing like in a 45 degree angle. You, you guys see the pictures. It looks like a graveyard you'd see at Disneyland to like scare people. And uh, I said, <laughs> she goes, don't dig the graves up. I just looked at her like, are you, I, I can't curse. I said, are you a, an idiot? <laughs> and she, <laughs> I go, of course I wouldn't dig the graves up. I said, she thought I was basically saying, can I recover the land for my own property? Oh. I was just like, I was so dumbfounded and everyone laughed. At the, I just turned and looked at her like, how stupid do you think I am and how stupid are you? And everybody in the meeting kind of giggled at her. Um, I said, no, I go, I want to beautify it. I want to stand the stones up. Every stone is completely crooked and some, a lot of them are knocked over face down. Like mm. there's at least 10 gravestones that are just literally face down. And so one of the superintendents goes, well, I take care of it during the summer. And, and then I just go, well, what if I take care of it better? <laughs> and the, the whole place chuckled at him and and he just like shrugged his shoulders he's like okay and hmm. so so the, the the supervisor just said whatever you do just come in and just make sure it's okay with us it's like i will so hmm. that means i won't tell you a thing that's all okay i got it yeah, yeah. i realize i just can't say anything sorry yeah. i brought it up yeah. never mind huh. uh, yeah you know they're never gonna elect you mayor if you don't go to all the meetings right i know i know i know i know that's why i'm supposed to go yeah you gotta go no. I cannot wait for your political career to take off. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'll tell you in the after show. Oh, oh boy. Okay. No. Well, um, let's no, see. No, I got no, one no, more no. thing. <laughs> I got one more thing. So I, I don't know if I said this last time, but I actually have been working on the Gia again, which is oh, really good. exciting. Yeah. So I went back out and started. Uh, spent a few days out there, um, trying to get the passenger side caught up with the driver's side. So all that work I did in the last video, like a year ago or whatever, trying to get that matched. And it's actually going way faster, not filming it. Imagine that. But mm -hmm. also having done it before, you know, I'm basically doing the same thing. Yeah. So, you could jump, like uh, when you do that, like I did it with the boat, you could literally jump through time because there's so much mundane stuff that just does not yeah. film well. Yeah. So. so this one, I'm not shooting it at all because it's exactly like the other side. So I just want to get it done so that I can start doing the next Work. I was going to rib you the other day, Bob, some TikTok or Instagram meme came through and it's, it was like a 95 year old guy. He's like, yeah, he goes, he goes, this is my next project. And he, <laughs> and it was like a Volvo that was completely dismantled in pieces. He's like, yeah, I, I should have this done soon. <laughs> like, like I filmed him was just, it was almost like, just like a frame on somebody's procrastination. I was like, I don't want to get him upset. Yeah. No, it I'm making progress. Apples. It's actually been really nice to be out there again, you know, seeing it move ahead you know i've got rocker rockers in and and one of the body panels got the back body panel i'm gonna go work on today which is nice and uh, yeah i'm pretty excited to have it you know like moving and i and i already have the next couple steps planned as to how you know it's ready to be it needs to be primed so the next work will be getting it ready to get epoxy primer and the whole thing and I don't know. It's nice to have a, a plan moving forward on it. So try to set myself some deadlines so that I can stay on task, which I think will be good. But I'm excited about that. So that's what I've been up to. Um, you had a topic, Jimmy. Yeah, I listened to uh, the Barry Katz podcast. I talk about it from time to time. It's uh, industry standard. And one question Barry always asks, no matter who's on, it's, it's standard for his episodes. He always asks, what what life incident, what curveball was thrown at you? Uh, tell me the worst point in your career and how you changed it to your advantage. It's based, I'm trying to remember exactly how he phrases the question. He says, tell me the worst point in your career and how you changed it to your advantage or how you took that opportunity to turn it around. And I thought it would be a good question to pose to you guys. And I was thinking about mine. There was a couple of moments in time. And the one thing that kind of sticks at the top is when I injured my hands. Because I remember this was pre-television. Well, I had, had done a couple television shows. But at the moment, I was just an interior builder building stuff for restaurants in the city. And that's that was it. That looked like I was going to do that for the rest of my life. It didn't look like maybe a television show will come through once in a while. But at that point, I was just a guy making stuff. And that moment, it was actually March. What is today's date? Today's March 29th. It was March 31st, 2010. 
at six o'clock, I injured my hand. My hand went across the table saw blade and I cut my pinky nearly completely off. I cut it through to the other side. The little band of skin on the inside, like where your two fingers meet, didn't get cut. But everything outside of that got cut and my pinky was just flopping around like... Bob's making a nice face. Yeah, yeah, thank you for like, the full description. <laughs> yeah, so, well, people always ask, was it completely cut off? It didn't fall on the floor. It was hanging on by about <laughs> about seven or eight okay. millimeters of skin. So, All right. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I, I remember thinking to myself, actually, the way that accident happened, to give you more gory details. So my hand rolled across <laughs> please, the saw. Please do. My hand rolled across the saw, but it happened with a kickback. A piece of wood kicked through the saw blade and the piece of wood was about 48 inches long so it i had my hand underneath adjusting the height of the blade when it, the piece of wood caught and shot through the wood was on the opposite side of the blade and i didn't as i raised the blade up it grabbed the wood and shot it through so it shot the piece of wood all the way through forward into my my forearm which was reached under the table saw blade adjusting the height so i literally like when you get a kickback that shoots through like tamara tamara had a piece that shot through and stuck on the wall behind her that's what happened but with a long piece but my arm was directly in the trajectory so it hit my forearm on my right hand which caused my whole body to lurch forward and that's how i threw my hand on Mm. my left side my left hand into the blade so in an instant i had blood squirting out of the injury on my forearm because it hit a little artery and my pinky was dangling off my hand in an instant. Both arms were injured. Both, like I didn't realize my forearm wasn't really injured that bad. I was basically, I just got kind of hit with a hammer. I did, I thought my bones broken and my my arteries bleeding because blood, never in my life, never before or after, but blood was like pumping. It squirted out like of my forearm. That squirted like four or five pumps and then it stopped. I looked at him like, what the hell am I going to do now? <laughs> this hand's injured and blood squirting out of my forearm. But that stopped right away. The blood literally squirted out like three times and stopped. And uh, I grabbed my bandana, wrapped my hand up and went upstairs to my friend at the time. Had a doctor's office upstairs and he said, he grabbed me a bunch of gauze and said, just hold this here. Don't let go. And he called an ambulance and then I was in the ambulance. And the whole time I remember being apologetic. I'm like, I'm sorry. They're like, don't worry about it. It happens. So I was apologizing to the ambulance for taking me. I was apologizing to everybody in the emergency mm. room. I'm sorry I'm taking everybody's time with a stupid table. I basically was embarrassed that I hurt myself and I was pulling other people into my stupidity. And But I remember laying in the hospital bed because I had to go into surgery the next morning and then they kept me for a day. So I laid in the hospital that night. They sewed it up quickly in the emergency room, which took like eight hours. So I got there at six. I didn't put me in a hospital bed until like 1 a.m. They sewed it shut just to prevent infection. Seven hours later, I went into operation under complete anesthesia. Don't remember. I woke up in the afternoon and with my arm in a cast and also completely uh, my, they, they shut my arm off. They literally like turned off the circuit breaker to my arm from my shoulder. They said, we did something to your nerve. So it felt like I had no arm, but that was just oh, so wow. they could do surgery. And they said, it'll take several hours for that to come back and eventually it did and started feeling pins and needles through my whole arm and it's like when they give you a shot in the roof of your mouth to like work on certain teeth it was like that type of thing but you know this in the skeleton and but the whole time i was laying in the hospital bed thinking okay i could sell my motorcycle i i i got my house six years before that but i could still sell it i could probably make i'm thinking how am i going to pay this hospital bill i'm thinking the hospital bill is going to be a half a million dollars i had no idea and so at that moment i was just thinking of like, okay, what do you, how do you make more money? Just work harder. You know, there's all these things that was going through my head and like, I could let this ruin me. And, and, uh, fast forward through time. And then, then the bone wasn't healing. So I got out of the hospital. Well, oh, let me, so I got out of the hospital on my birthday, April 3rd, uh, 2010. And I completely forgot that my Vespa that I had been driving that afternoon, I left it illegally parked because now the next day it becomes illegally parked in New York. If you don't move anything. So I got, I took a cab out of the hospital, which was just uptown when they finally released me in a cast. And so March 31st, April 3rd in the morning, they let me out with a bottle of Vicodins, which I only took one of. And they said, uh, if your fingertip turns black, call us and come back and we'll remove it. Because if your fingertip turns black because it was sticking out of the cast, that means it's not healing. And it never did turn black, by the way. <laughs> I still have it. 
But so April 3rd, I get to my house in front of my apartment building. My Vespa was still where I was now illegally parked for two days and it didn't have a ticket on it. So that was April 3rd at about 10 in the morning. At about six o'clock at night, somebody calls me and says, hey, was you, where are you? Your Vespa's not there. I'm like, what do you mean? I'm in my apartment. They're like, well, your Vespa's gone. I just wanted, my friend, it, was, it might've been Willie. He, he thought, he goes, are you riding with a cast on because your Vespa's gone? He thought I was riding around. I said, no. He goes, well, well your Vespa's not there anymore. Somebody stole it. So like in mm. the middle of the day, my Vespa got stolen. And uh, so that was the day. I came out of the hospital with what I thought was a half a million dollar surgery bill and a hospital stay and an ambulance ride. And I get home and then my Vespa gets stolen. My $5,000 Vespa gets stolen. I was like, well, happy birthday to me. Um, can't get any lower than this. I mean, I'm still breathing. You know, these are the types of things I was encouraging myself to be positive about. And you know, I still got my pinky for what it's worth. I could still maybe use it. You know, these are the type of things I was thinking. But fast forward, like six, eight months later, I was working. Uh, buddy, well, it was only like three months later because I was still in the cast. I ended up having to be in the cast for... I guess uh, like seven or eight months because my bone wasn't healing. So my hand was in a cast for the majority of that year. But my friend hired me to make signs for his new production office. He makes, he makes his production office and he rents out studio suites. And while I was there, I had a cast in my hand and I was doing everything with one hand. And he's like, what's going on with your hand? I was like, oh, I cut it on the table saw. He's like, well, that's disgusting. He goes, don't tell me any more about it. Just like you did, bud. And, uh, and yet you did. <laughs> yeah, I did. And, but while we were talking, it, the reason I bring up my injury is because Mike is a very busy guy. He never has time to talk. I was working with one of his assistants. Because of my injury, he stopped and talked to me. I know him, but I, I didn't know him very well. And we started talking, and he goes, what's going on with you these days? He goes, what's happening with your hand? I said, oh, injury. And then one thing led to another, and he goes, I said to him, are you, are you going to start selling TV shows soon? Because he had everything except for the ideas he would rent out his studios he he was he was part of the production team for cribs and a couple of other big nbc sports shows so he was more on the production side but i said are you going to be on the creative side he says i'd like to be if you have any ideas and so i sat down and i just kind of joined youtube and i put some of my youtube pictures some of my some of my tv show pictures on my youtube channel and i showed him a show that me and my brother did which is still on my youtube channel called lord of the fleas and mike said this is an interesting idea. Would you let me show it to Discovery Channel? And everybody had seen it at that point. Everybody, like 10 times, and nobody bought it. But Mike said, if there's fresh people there, I'd like to show it to somebody I have contact with. I said, sure. And so Mike showed it, fast forward, and that's how I was able to show, to sell the show, Dirty Money. That's what it became, Dirty Money. We did 12 episodes on Discovery Channel. And it was exactly, it was exactly one year to the day that I got injured that we started production. So... On 2010, March 31st, I was in the hospital thinking, that's it, my life is going to be a huge vacuum for a moment where I try and figure out how to build back after I sell my house to pay my hospital bills, I sell my motorcycle, my car to pay my hospital bills. And one year to the day, I was making a TV show. And that TV show, when it didn't get picked up, was the reason I started doing YouTube. So of all the various stories, this seems to be the most poignant one to, to tell, where it was like really in a hole and then came out of that hole to where I am now. I mean, if I didn't cut my hand, I wouldn't have met you guys. And that's basically my whole story. Do you remember? <laughs> we are the point yeah. of all <laughs> That's it. So I'm so happy we're still friends. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Do you remember so, the first time you used a table saw after that? Yeah, as soon as I got out of the hospital that afternoon. <laughs> oh my God. Well, with, with, with no problems. Well, I was I had to finish this job. Oh, I didn't I left out another important part. I was out of the hospital for like a week. My motorcycle, my Vespa's been stolen at hospital. And then I'm in the middle of doing it and the doctor said, Do not work in your shop. I was like, I appreciate the sentiment. I go, but I have to. You don't understand. I have no money. I mean, any every minute I make, I make money. If I don't make, I don't make money. I was in my shop building a DJ booth about ten days after the injury with a cast on, you know, doing learning my limitations and I turned and my hand swept across a piece of wood and I got a splinter right in my palm that went through to the other side of my palm. It went up oh. between my pointer and my middle finger and the splinter came and bumped the skin out between my knuckles. Oh. Like, it was like this and my hand blew up 
I remember I was trying to ignore it. I tried to pull the splinter out and I tried to push it and a little piece came. And I broke the little tiny piece over the pair of pliers and the rest of it was still stuck in there. This episode is not for everybody. Yeah. And, and Dave Welder shows up. He goes, what's wrong with your hand? I go, I got a splinter. And he goes, dude, your hand is swollen. I couldn't compare it to my other hand because my other hand was in a cast. This is and, he goes, and he put his hand out and I put my hand next to his. He goes, your hand is so swollen and I didn't want to believe it. I was really in denial. So I went to the hospital and they showed up at the same hospital. You so again. They said, it's exactly <laughs> what they said. They go, what are you doing here? Is everything okay? I'm like, yeah, this hand's fine, but now it's this hand. And they x-rayed it. They couldn't see the wood. Fast forward 21 day, 20 days later, the splinter popped out of my palm and I pulled it out. And the whole time I was on Keflex and anti-infection drugs to keep my hand from getting infected. Both hands now. Wow. The whole while, those like 17, 18 days, I'm working with two hands that are injured now. One's got a splinter, like spiked literally through my palm to the other side. And the other one is the injury. So, yeah. So that was a low couple of weeks for me. Yeah. So, I mean, in that process, you were you were looking at, in the depth of it, you're looking at how do I get out? And you're thinking all those different things about selling things and, you know, how you... Yeah change directions and stuff and then i mean the the tv show that new opportunity was kind of random right i mean you didn't like actively go no it was very random and the reason i the reason i kind of connected it to my injury is because i had this cast on and mike is such a weird introverted dude the guy who uh, who is he's just a very introverted guy like he does not like talking to anybody and so when he saw me with the cast it kind of prompted a conversation, which if I didn't have a cast, he'd be like, oh, thanks for making the numbers for the rooms, you know, deal with Petey. That's the guy who was off mutual friend. And he would have just walked right by me. But because I had a cast on, he's like, what happened? As I cut my hand, he goes, what happened? He told me the story. So that prompted more conversation. And then and I said, when are you guys going to start manufacturing shows of your own instead of like all they do, like the post-production? And he's like, we're looking for a good idea if you got anything. He knew that I had done HGTV and that's kind of how we started a friendship. And, uh, that's what I said. I go, well, I got this show. I go, everyone's seen it, but it's primed to be pitched again. And it was on my YouTube. And he's like, take this off of YouTube. I want to show it to Discovery Channel. And he also asked for the original footage. When you see the, the video on my YouTube channel, I shot and edited that. And I gave him the original tapes. And he recut a more dynamic cut to pitch to Discovery. Mm. And then that led to a pilot. And then that led to a 12-episode series. And then that series was canceled. And then that led to me starting my YouTube channel in 2011, the end of 2011. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. All right, David, what's, what's your story? Well, you gotta, you gotta, you've been building a big story story. We, to- <laughs> this is, this is, this goes against storytelling because that should have been the climax of the whole thing. Like no offense to myself <laughs> and to Bob, but I don't know that we're going to top that. <clears throat> yeah. Um, I, I, I asked about using a table saw for the first time because when I was 17, I was the passenger in a really bad car accident where the uh, person in the other car was killed and it was my friend's fault who was driving. And I was just terrified of cars for a long time. And I wouldn't ride with any friends. I would only be in the car with my parents because I just didn't trust anybody but my parents. And it took a while to get over that. And, I can uh, totally see that. But you, you just hop right back on the table saw, cast and bandages, and went right back to work. Well, at that point, I I started using push sticks, <laughs> <laughs> so I was staying, I was staying a little bit further away from the blade. And then I also kind of developed this motto at that point: never put your hand, past, even though it's not really how I got injured, but I never put my hand past the arbor. I still don't. I have like a weird fear of putting my hand past the arbor. So if I'm working on a table, you I see people push. I think it's a weird push. fear. I think it's a very well placed <laughs> right? fear. But you see people like push wood through the table saw and they like put it all the way through so their elbows like over the arbor. Yeah. You know, and like they'll pass it all so it knocks all the way to the to the feed table. I won't do that. And that was that day mm-hmm. that healthy fear started. Yeah. So for me, the when I was working at the agency, I was. Uh, I was the web developer there and there was a couple of pivot points that got me from graphic design to web development, but um, I was the web, the lead web guy there and we built these CMS sites for a lot of medical aesthetic companies, like companies that would, uh, that was our main source of clients was companies who made like hair removal machines and, and 
fat reduction machines and and just like cosmetic medical stuff and i really enjoyed making all these websites and then we realized or the bosses realized like there's this hole in the medical aesthetic world of templated websites so we would like pre-build all the we started pre-building these websites and then just selling them to these medical aesthetic companies and my job went from cool fun designing websites from scratch to just cookie cutter templated websites and it was awful it, it was just it was just production work there was no more creativity there was no more problem solving it was just I hated it so much um, and at this time I had my YouTube channel and I was posting videos and you know not a lot of traction some traction but you know nothing to really like kind of take off and so then I really stopped is a, a I, I, this this job I loved, but my my love for the job was just kind of going away, and so I was putting more focus into the YouTube channel, and I started selling plans, and then all of a sudden I got a book deal. What year was that? When, what year did you start your channel? Two thousand and eleven, maybe. Yeah, that's right. When I started, yeah, so September two thousand eleven is like when I first started, and it was really the this the 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 change at my job that really made me focus more on the hobby stuff and nothing really super interesting except one change made me really want to push for something else and things just started to fall into place when i put a lot of focus into the you know the the, the side hustle business and once that happened like all of a sudden a book deal came came out and um couple magazines asked me to write some articles for them and i started to get traffic to the website people were buying plans so it's weird where you weird it's 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 just wherever i was putting my focus that's where success started to happen and uh i just hopefully people can find a little bit of inspiration if they're in a place that the, that, that they don't enjoy yeah, I think a lot of, you know, it's kind of like a rudder. I mean, a lot of where you point your attention and your effort is is where things will begin to change. And a lot of times when people are stuck in a bad situation, a bad job that they don't like, they don't point their rudder somewhere else. Yeah, They just yeah. stay in that thing and focus on the hard. And so it stays hard instead of trying to figure out how to... And I realize it, it's really hard to... to put change that focus you know if you got mm -hmm. families and you, you know everybody's dealing with their own personal things it's um it's really hard to change that focus i was just things lined up where i got lucky where i was able to point my focus somewhere else yeah yeah um i guess i had a kind of similar pivot point uh so i out of college i started a company with a friend of mine i've probably told all this story before but um, started a website website design company with a friend of mine. And I, he was doing all the selling and all the client side stuff. And I was doing the development. And so I was learning to develop this stuff, um, these like really data-driven websites and everything. I was learning to do it while doing it, which was really cool because I was, I realized now that was basically what I do now. I get to learn how to do things while I do them. And I, that's what I really enjoy. So I did that for a long time. We started working with advertising agencies. Like, they would bring in clients. We would build this these really complex back end sites for them, and um, and then eventually we hired a bunch of people. So we had a team, um, and then this we bought a building so that we moved our offices into this building. And there were I don't know seven or eight or ten of us. I don't remember at that point. And then this agency that we had been working with said, you know, we want to kind of absorb you, absorb the company, and you all become our digital wing. And so you and your partner will be the kind of president, vice president of this new section of the agency. And we'll work, we'll lease your building from you for you to work in. Well, that's awesome. And so up until that point, I'd been like building stuff. And then we did this easy transition and it was a good way to both have our building paid for and take the weight of salaries and stuff off of our shoulders because then that pushed that up to somebody else's responsibility 
and we still got to do the same work. Well, in that, we became completely a part of what they wanted us to do, what they needed us to do. So we went from building interesting things to building marketing only. Mm. And some of it was interesting, but a lot of it was just marketing. And specifically, they did a lot of liquor stuff and camel cigarettes were one of their big things. I hate... I, Sorry if you smoke, but I really, really dislike cigarettes. I Bob, dislike you're gonna what really they've upset, done. To... You're going to upset the smokers, Bob. I, I, uh, probably. I really dislike what that, as a as a habit, has done to people that I love. Okay, I'll leave it at that. So cigarettes I found myself being in a place where I where I had <laughs> where I had to work with this cigarette manufacturer, and I was building marketing for them to convince people that they needed something that they don't need. Oh. And it hit me really hard at that point where like, I never really thought about what marketing is, but being in that position where I realized that I was, I was doing work for something that I did not believe in. I did. I, I wow, actively that's, that's was against tough. and I, I just got really stuck there. But at the same time I was making good money. It was stable. I didn't have to worry about the, you know, paying for the building and all this stuff. And we had a team that was growing out and it was really easy for me to back away from the work and be like a manager type person and get really lazy and get really like hide in my office. And I just found myself pushing away from the thing that I had wanted to do. And I was just stuck in this like stuck in this like, I don't I don't really like this anymore. I don't want to do this, but it's like it's kind of everything's covered, you know, so what's the big deal? Right, it's like you get you get your dream, and then you really got to decide. Wait, this isn't exactly yeah. what I thought it would look like. Yeah, and so I sat in that for a while, kind of unhappy with what I was doing, and then all of a sudden, they like out of the blue, they called my partner and I in and said, "We're moving you all from your office to our head office, which was an hour away, and so all of you will have to start commuting like next month." an hour to work and then an hour home. And I was like, nope, <laughs> not going to do it. And so we went back, immediately had a meeting with all of our team. We had to tell them all this stuff. And it was the first time I had been in this like intermediate kind of position of like getting told to do something and then having to tell others to do that. And I really did not like that feeling. But I was like, look, everybody, you know, they're moving all of us to the thing and I'm not going to go. And I just said it there for the first time in that meeting, like, I'm not doing this. I'm not driving an hour to work for something that I'm not really into. And I don't want to make you all do the same. And I'm sorry. And I can't, you know, I felt like this weird responsibility for being that, like, that hinge point between something above and something and people who were looking up to me. And, and so, Bob, let me, like, let me, let me ask you, I just want to slow you down for a second. Okay. At that moment in time, you're deciding, I don't want to do this, but you're going to step out of a comfortable, financially yeah. comfortable situation into what? Like, what were you thinking? I don't know. At that point, I had no idea. And you had but four I knew, kids. And I, have, I had, at that point, a uh, six-month-old. My first kid was six months old. We bought a house, like, maybe a year, year and a half before that. Um, we had two car payments. You know, it was like... I was in a place where I didn't, and we didn't have a lot of money. We had some debt and I was like, I don't know, but I can't drive an hour. I have a, you know, six month old. I'm not going to drive two hours a day and not be with my new child like that. So I don't know. Um, and so I thought about, you know, I could go back to teaching. I could do all this. So I was coming up with these ideas, but I basically in that moment told them and the whole team, like, I can't, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to let, I've, I've done this long enough because it was comfortable and now it's not comfortable. And that was enough of a pivot for me to like, I have to figure out something. So my brother was working for a startup in, um, in California. He was out there. And so I reached out to him and I said, look, I'm, I'm looking for something else. Do you know of anybody who's out there who like wants a remote worker or anything like that? You know, just trying to figure out a connection. He was like, actually, we're looking for somebody that, that does what you do, like the specific skill set that you were, doing and so very quickly he connected me with another guy on his team uh, I had a couple interviews with these people and it was very like I know you're Bill's brother but I'm going to treat you like you're not so that you're getting this job on your own which was right. good you know and so I got this job like all of a sudden I got a job with a startup in California to work remotely before the other job even ended 
And then, so they're like, you're going to come on, you're going to do front-end development and all this stuff. You can work at home, be near your kid, uh, make really good money, you know, better money than I was making before. And so I'm like, what? This is so weird. And then the day, no, two days before the my start date, I get a call from the guy that owns this startup who I'd met once over the phone. And he said, I just want to let you know, we got acquired by Dell and it's not public yet, but it will go public on the day that you start. <laughs> so instead of starting to work for us, you're going to work with our team under Dell. And so I'm having this flashback of like, <laughs> oh no, the overlords <laughs> are taking over a small company again. Um, but the cool thing about it, and it was amazing. It was, it was all good. I'm going to skip ahead. But the cool thing about it was that I went from doing marketing, putting my efforts at convincing people that they didn't need stuff that I didn't, or that they needed stuff I didn't think they needed, to building a product. And the product was very specific. It was like to make IT people's job easier. So it wasn't like an interesting product, but it was a product for people. And that was the first time that I'd ever had that distinction between those two things that I, I didn't realize that the technique was the same for both, but the purpose was entirely different. And it meant so much more to me to realize I was making something for people, you know, like, uh, that was a, a big thing. Anyway, I went on to work there for five years or something, was able to work at home, was able to see all of my kids, you know, be infants and toddlers and stuff in the house while I was working. Having the the home time was what allowed me to start doing woodworking again and turned into what I'm doing now. And all of that stuff, I honestly think, is because of that that unknown pivot mm-hmm. right there. When I was forced, it, it wasn't even really a choice. I was forced by an outside change to decide if I was willing to like just stick with it and be kind of unhappy or if I was going to take some sort of a risk, you know, and just go look for something else. I mean, and there again, kind of like you running into Mike, Jimmy, it, like I, that job, I didn't do anything special to get that job. I just happened to ask the right person at the right time, you know? Yeah. You know, it's funny. The moral of uh, both your stories is like, if you just push a little bit in another direction, you don't realize that you're not as trapped as you might feel. You know, yeah. if you push a little bit, you might just literally like lift a rock and be like, oh, look what's here. Yeah. Look what's sitting here. I didn't notice. And with that whole story, one of the interesting kind of crappy things about it was that with that building that they were renting from us for us, we still owned, but we didn't have a way to pay for it. And my partner kept working with them for many years. And, um, you know, I went to work at home and stuff, but we still were connected through this shared debt of this commercial building and we had that thing for another i'm wanting to say three years and we had a renter for a little while and then we didn't and we had to pay for this commercial mortgage out of pocket for a long time which was a huge stressor for me financially and you know so it drug on it wasn't like everything turned into sunshine and rainbows because i made a job change like it was it was still very hard and very expensive for a long time. And another note, he and I both also owned a boat together that we got when things were, you know, flush and nice. And then it took us even longer to pay off the dumb boat. <laughs> Don't buy a boat, anybody. <laughs> Don't ever buy a boat. Uh, but wait, wait, Bob. You didn't, let me ask you. You didn't also buy a timeshare, did you? I hope not. No timeshare. Oh no, no, good. Okay, no, okay. No. Good. Uh, yeah, so we ended up, we're able to sell the commercial building to like, you know, we didn't make any money on it, but we just like, got rid of it and so that was a a huge thing and then eventually got rid of the boat and then from once those were gone i and i was working at home i I was being able i was able to do like freelance development and stuff on the side and so i worked really hard there once i had one of those things lifted to then do freelance to pay off debt so it was like a staggered thing you know where like i got out of one situation something got a little bit better and a little bit better and i kept working to pay off things and then got to a point where we were other than the mortgage we were debt free um and which made moving from a corporate job that i liked to starting my own thing a lot easier not that you can't do it with debt in your life i'm not saying that but getting to that point through all those different series of of changes and adjustments and stuff 
being able to take the step into trying my own business was a lot easier and a lot more realistic, you know, because I was able to to get rid of the weight of those previous things. When we started this podcast, you were still working at Dell. And Jimmy and I yes. were trying to convince you every single week to so to let go and, and make, I like to make stuff full time. Looking back, would you have done it sooner or did you do you think you made all the the correct decisions for that time? Um, no, I think I, I think I did it the right yeah. way. Yeah, I'm actually pretty proud of the process that I had to go through to to make that choice. Yeah, I feel like if I had waited any longer, I would have been really shooting myself in the foot, you know. But if I'd gone earlier, I think it, I don't think I would have been quite ready, mm -hmm. you know. I always so. tell when people ask me that advice, like when when is it time to move on to a new job? I say, just hang on as long as you possibly can. When one becomes a hindrance, then you'll know. But if you make the premature leap, you might regret it. I say, yeah. And take the salary. Just work on everything you can. Do it all at mm -hmm. the same time as long as quite, as human possible. And then once you realize you can't, then that's when you know to make that decision. I've said this a bunch of times. It's in my book and stuff. But I, we, my wife and I decided on a season to do both things full time. And it was like, well, I think we said nine months, but it didn't last month, nine months. But it was like, I'm going to do two jobs full time for nine months and I'm not going to be a good dad and I'm not going to be a good husband. Mm -hmm. But that's why we're putting a deadline on it so that I don't do that indefinitely. So we're going to do it and then we're going to be able to tell which one of these is in the way. And if it's I like to make stuff, then it doesn't happen anymore. You know, right. if it's Dell, then that doesn't happen anymore. Right. And so it, it, I think it took maybe six months to figure out very easily like Dell's got to go. Yeah. <laughs> you know. So pretty cool. And that was hard. It was a hard period of of just trying to do as much as possible. You know, I think you could do that at any age, but being younger at the time definitely made it easier to try to overwork for a while. But anyway. Yeah. Um any other thoughts on this type of stuff? Any, any words of encouragement for people? I think uh, I always think about moments in time, like, you know, my fall was, I had a pretty rough fall here with my personal life. You look back and you think to yourself, that was only this many months. You know, if you make it through it, stay, try and stay positive and make it through it. When I look back at the situation when I injured my hand, that was the beginning of a series of events that led to quite possibly where we are right now. And I think it's just, you just got to say, you got to remind yourself, this is just a moment in time. Like I said, when I look back through all these horrible events in my life and, you know, horrible, not really horrible, but, you know, like heartbreak and whatever else it might be, heartbreak between you and a relationship or you and a friend or you and a family member or whatever it is, or in a situation, financial situation, you look back and you go, that was only three months. That was only a month. That was only these four months. And it seems like such a blip, but when you're in it, you don't know what the other side is. You don't know how far yeah. out the other side is. But you just got to stay positive and compare it to other situations that you've been through and say, okay, that was only three months worth of pain and anguish. And then I got through it and then I was better for these reasons. And, you know, you just got to remind yourself of those. And and I do remind myself of that. You know, this fall, I was going through a lot of heartache and change and upheaval here at the house. And I was just thinking, okay, this is only going to be these many months. And, you know, slowly something will begin to start to feel positive about it. You know, the, you know, the change is always horrible, but it always improves your situation when you get through to the other side. Mm -hmm. And if it's not better, you're still going through it. Yeah. What, along the same lines, one of the, uh, the things that I've kind of learned from that, the Rick Rubin book that we talked about a couple of weeks ago is um, in that moment of time, when you made a change, that was the best decision that you could make given what you knew at that time. And sometimes those de decisions, they work out well. Sometimes it's just a turn and sometimes they don't work out, but you can't dwell on that too much. And you have to work on what's now. You just, you made the best decision that you could at that particular time. And like, but, I could look back and like, oh man, I, if I would have, started doing this these types of videos four years ago i'd be in a much better position now but i can't do that i i did what i did and but i can i can change what i'm doing now to make up for that 
Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Well, I'm going to thank our uh, Patreon supporters. And then you all can find something to recommend. I don't have anything this week at all. I got to go. So that's a bummer. Um, big thanks to everybody that helps us out on Patreon that supports this show. Uh, we are really, really grateful for the support. And there's a bunch of people over there, but there's a group that goes above and beyond. Um, so I always want to thank uh, Crabtree Creative, The Web Ranch Woodworks, Gretchen Hofer, Michael Menegin, who also bought one of our courses recently. I saw that, Michael. Thank you. Warren Works, uh, Stu Morrison, Scott Orham, Odin Leather Goods, Rich at Low End Designs, Grant from Dad Crafted, Chad's Custom Creations, Chad from Mancrafting, Works by Solo, Albers Woodworks, and Corey Ward. But there's also people like Mike Wagner. Thank you, everybody. Who are not on that list, but also very helpful and always here to support us. So really grateful. They all get the after show, uh, which Jimmy has some political news, apparently. <laughs> Today you're going to find out about Forgot in the about after that. show. Did I say uh, And you can get that by going to patreon.com slash making it. Uh, we really, really appreciate the support. It means a lot. Do you guys have anything to recommend this week? Uh, I'm saying it first because I want to be the first one to say it. Uh, the, there's a really, really good shop video by Bourbon Moth. Jason Hibbs oh, yeah. did a great video on rag shop rags and linseed oil safety. It's amazing. He is able to make, I think, three three spontaneous combustion fires literally by just setting up a scenario and sitting and watching. It's unbelievable. What an education that video is. If you use shop rags and you leave my, because I live in the country. If I have shop rags, I put them on the gravel shop out. I put them on the gravel outside the shop. I put them on the something so they don't blow away. That's how I handle oily rags. Even like Patrick and I have been working on this boat. He said, what do I do with the oily rags? I said, put them out in the driveway under a rock. So they'll just get soaked by rain and but dry out. Once they, they gas off, then we could put them in a garbage bag. But <clears throat> Jason set up a situation where he made a like nine scenarios and just stood, stood back and watched and sure sure enough three fires started over about a 12 hour period wow just literally setting up a scenario where oily rags was just sitting on the ground or in a bag or in a can so watch that it's a great education it's actually required watching if you don't watch that video you can't listen to next week's episode (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'm I'm dropping it in that chat uh, so this one could rub some people the wrong way, but it's a channel called Electric Classic Cars, where they just take classic cars and they turn oh, them that's into awesome. electric. Um, the video that I'm going to link to is the video that got me into this channel, and it's a couple years old, but they take an old um, VW Beetle and try to turn it into electric in a single day. And it's shot really well. It's it's shot like like Discovery Channel well um and it's just it's just fun the uh so we've had a contractor construction crew here since november they're all like got just a couple more days and they're almost done um and we you know i've got the 67 impala in the garage and one day i i heard them talking to each other saying something about um, oh yeah, I will never, I will never go electric. I will never buy electric. It's gasoline from from here on out. And I just kind of chuckled because they probably assume I have the same thought, being that I have a classic car. Um, but uh, you know, I see, I see myself driving an electric car in the future. When you know, I know there's everybody knows that there's problems with electric, but we have to we have to get past these stepping stones first, and. Although I think it would, uh, uh, my dad would turn over in his grave if I turned that Impala into electric. Uh, to me, that sounds <laughs> kind of fun. I don't think it's going to happen. There's, there's, there's no room in the budget to do anything like that in the near future. But um, I think it's, it's, it's cool to see where we're going to go. And Donut Media just did a video a couple weeks ago about zero carbon or zero, I, whatever, zero carbon, zero credit. Uh, gasoline where they make gasoline out of air and water but it costs like 40 gallons uh 40 dollars a gallon to do this but i think it was porsche that has a factory in south america i believe um 
where they are doing this refining process where they turn air and water into gasoline and it smells and it operates exactly like gasoline. But this could be a potential, it's real expensive to do right now, but it could be potentially a way to keep combustion engines active without, because wow. it's, it's more than air and, 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 and water. They're, they're pulling carbon from the air and then using that to turn into to gasoline. It's so I guess I have two picks. Huh. Well, I'm going to use that one as mine. Okay. There you go. There you go. <laughs> I'm gonna put it in my list there cuz I don't have one. I've been looking around. Uh, you were talking about like making cars electric being expensive. I looked into um making the Ghia electric and uh EV West has a bolt-in kit for a Carmen Ghia. I mean, they have bolting kits for a bunch of cars, but they have one specifically for the Ghia that's made to fit and all the stuff. And I think the kit with the motors and all the electronics without batteries, I think the kit was like $7,500. Then you add batteries. And I think at one point I did a calculation where, um, gosh, it was like 100 miles of travel you know, enough battery to get you a hundred miles was going to be like another $14,000 or something crazy like that. Like it was so expensive just to get the bare minimum of travel out of the batteries specifically is the, the expensive part. And they were used batteries from like resalvaged um, or salvaged uh, Tesla batteries, I think. So yeah, it is cool. I would love to do it. People ask me about it all the time in comments and stuff, but it, I didn't pay very much for the car. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's a lot. Uh, so yeah. All right. Well, I'm going to use your donut video as right. my pick. Cool. Well, you guys got anything else for this week? Hmm. I think we're good. Hmm. Wait. By the way, I just meant to ask you. We we talk about this about every three weeks. When did we start? What year did we start? I'm going to write it down this time. Yeah. Right. Um, 2014. Is that right? Because by 13? 2016, we had 200 episodes. <laughs> Dave has no idea. He's just yeah, it's all blur now. 13 or 14. I don't remember exactly. I'll say 14. I'll say 14. Okay. I won't correct it. So. <laughs> so that would be Halloween, October. Yeah. 31st, 2014. If anybody could, could text me the answer to that on Friday. <laughs> all right, cool. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. And... Uh, See you next time. Thank Later. you. Later. Love you.